And you and your mindset, you could go, yeah, okay, great. Like, I don't personally believe that. For me, I'm never going to use the word barbecue. Barbecue is a type of food. It is not a verb. Right. So you will never use it. And you're sinful if you use (laughs) the word barbecue as a verb or a place to go. It is a type of food. It is a special type of meat slowly cooked over flames and smoke. It is not a verb. I will continue to say this over and over. But you may go ahead. <laughs> if you try to use it as a verb again, I will interrupt you yet again. <laughs> Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school. Because my best days will be in the past. I know, I know, I know, I know. Looking back, it ain't all bad. But Damn, I'm glad I didn't peek in high, high school. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another bonus episode of the Tension Podcast. We're a show that acknowledges most of life and faith is lived in the tension between the two extremes. Each week, we take a look at what many of us were taught growing up in evangelical churches. We weigh it against what our current culture is saying, and we try to find what Jesus has for us in the tension between the two. We have met. My name is Jonathan Crone, and we're joined, as always, by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, go ahead and say hey to the people. What's up, people? Hey, typically I have like some sort of, uh, you know, funny or irreverent thing to say in the beginning, but I'm not going to do that today. I, I just want to ask, give an update. Uh, Jonathan, first of all, how are you doing, man? I know uh, our last last episode was uh, you shared a lot of things and, and I'm sure people are are interested now that they're hearing, uh, hearing from us again. So I want to just kind of go on the record and see what's been going on. How you doing? How How are things, man? That's the first question in the mailbag for me. Yeah, I'm good. Um, we took a week at Thanksgiving and went to the beach where I did barely anything. And then I just, I've been very, I hate the word intentional. I've been very intentional about not overcrowding what I'm doing in terms of like, I'm not going to rush to do something. I'm not going to, Oh, I could, I, I could fit this in the schedule, but I'm not. So uh, that's been good. Uh, I'm actually, <laughs> I was able to come off the anxiety medication, which was great. Um, so I was able to get like get re- reset, let my body re- rest and relax. And uh, the past few weeks have been really good in terms of the anxiety stuff. So um, doctors, medicine, Jesus, all of it works together. And you figure out the plan that works for you. So, uh, it took some time to get there, but I, I, I'm in a better place and I, and I have more empathy for people who are dealing with anxiety now because I, I have gone through it. I am going through it. Um, and so I, I, you don't know how things feel until you feel them yourself. And so I, I now, I now understand it on a different level. I do want to say thanks to everybody who reached out and asked me about it. Um, and I do want to say thank you as well to the people who shared their stories of anxiety and how that's playing out for them with me. Because um, as someone who shared my piece of it, I know how anxiety riddled sharing about your anxiety can be. So uh, for those of you who sent that, I, I really appreciate it. So, yeah, and I, I don't want to put you on the spot. Well, I'm, I'm going to put you on You're the spot whether I want you or not. Uh, is <laughs> it. I know, again, this is one thing where it's like experiencing something doesn't make you an expert in it. I get it. I know you're not a doctor. I know you're not a therapist. But like if you could talk maybe outside of the medical side of things, 
and talk through like, what are some of the guardrails you put up in your own life um, in order to help? Because I think there are probably plenty of people out there that uh, are experiencing anxiety or, you know, panic attacks or anything like that. And they don't even know they are, you know what I mean? Similar to what you were in that spot where you're like, I have no idea that this is what this is. Oh my gosh, this is what it actually is. It's not, it's not just a problem and I'm sad or I'm worried and I, and I need, I need some male authoritarian figure to say, get over it, suck it up, Jonathan, you know, or whatever. Like, are there things thanks, that Pastor you've Mark. done? Uh, what was that? I said, thanks, Pastor Mark. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, you be me a real man, eat some bacon and go shoot a gun and you'll feel better. Pow, pow, pow. But like, <laughs> that's terrible. But like, is there, you know, you talked a little bit about going slower. Is there anything that you're like, Hey, I recognize now that this is a sign that I need to take some action. And maybe what are a couple of those actions that, that have really started to work for you? So I don't know if this, this doesn't answer your question right away, but what I realized that I didn't know going into this is that the body doesn't tell the, can't tell the difference between the good stress and the bad stress. Yeah. So you could have your schedule and your life filled with things that are great and things that are the stuff you're supposed to be doing and the things that have good outcomes, but, and even things that you're excited about, but your body can't tell the difference in you rushing to get to that and you rushing to put a fire out that of something bad that's happened. So uh, I, I think a light bulb moment for me was realizing that even the good things can put your body into fight or flight. And that's where the anxiety is held and where you feel it more. So um, I've had to be aware of that and say, just because I have an hour here to fit this thing in, I'm going to be running from point A to point B. And so that's not going to be healthy for me. So I need to go a little bit slower and uh, not fill the schedule out completely just because there's a gap there. Yeah. And, and thankfully, being, I've been think, in and a also being able to, be able to say to no that. to good things too. Like, like yeah. you talk about like there's times where you've got these good things that you can say no to. I think depending on when this releases or when people are listening, like you've just gone through a holiday season. And I know for our family, we had a couple of things where we were like, I know we always do this air quotes, air quotes, air quotes, or we're supposed to, but like, the, yeah, it's great to have lights outside or it's great to have this dinner or that thing or this event, but like, we're okay saying no right now. Cause even if you st like you said, the body can't tell the good versus the bad stress. Like you, you stack good holiday stress and good family stress together. And then the one bad thing is the cherry on top that just makes everything kind of yep. an avalanche of problems. So yeah, I love, I love that concept too, of like, it's okay to say no and it's okay to say no to good things too. Yeah, you have to, like, it's one of the reasons to be self-absorbed here. It's one of the reasons we're doing the podcast monthly now, instead of trying to do a whole season because yeah, I could make the time to do this, but each episode takes about four hours between writing and recording and, and editing and all that stuff. So I could find four hours, but I also could give myself some time to rest. And I'm going to find the four hours again soon because I want to, but I'm not going to force it in and go at the same pace, at the same arbitrary pace that I put in place that no one else expects of me, but it felt like what I should be doing. So that's probably the biggest thing for me. 
Well, I appreciate you sharing. I'm sure everybody else who's listening who cares about, you know, the podcast and you and your life, it's, it's great. And uh, uh, so I, I would also say like for everybody listening, keep sending in stories, keep sending in questions uh, because I think what you're hearing, what you've heard from me, what you've heard from Jonathan too, is like, this is a very Christian issue too. Cause I, I know that it's hard to talk about anxiety. It's hard to talk about slowing down pace in our American evangelical masculine situation here, because any the idea more you do, the more Jesus loves you. Yeah, exactly. And so like, you know, and Jesus blesses, you know, Jesus helps those who help themselves type of deal. And right. You know, so it's like when you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, that's when Jesus starts blessing you. And it's like, man, I think theologically we would all go, yeah, no, that's crazy. But like culturally, that's what makes it tough for us to talk about mental health and things like that. So uh, we want this to be a safe place for you guys also to, to share and, and to feel like it's, it's not weird, you know, and it's not anti-biblical to know that you need to rest and know that you need to slow down and know that you need to get help when you need to get help and get medication and get therapy when you need to do those things. So, and Hey, if you have no clue what we're talking about, go back and listen to last month's episode because go. that will give you the full context. I realized halfway through that, that we may have some new people who don't know what's going on, but last month I shared about some anxieties. So uh, go listen to that episode. It's the one that came out before this one. If you want to know more about that, but today for the rest of our time, we did a Q and a back released back in October of 2023. And it was all about the culture war and things going on around that. And we got some really great questions that we didn't get a chance to answer in that episode. So today we're going to hit some of those. Some of them are culture war related. Some of them are Christian life related. Some of them are church related. So we're going to hit as many of these as we can while trying to stay in that 50 to 55 minute range of an episode so that we don't take too much of your time. Our first question, Eric, comes yes. all the way across the pond. To the other well, side of the world. The other pond. Our, yeah, friend, I don't think that's our pond. YouTube friend. Yeah. Uh, am I it's asking the question here? Or I'm, 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 uh, you want me to read the question like we did before? Yeah, sure. You can do that. Yeah. Here we go. All right. So from uh, Yuhan from Australia, I wanted to ask you all about apologetics in this can, can you context. answer? Can you ask this in a Australian accent? No. Well, I could, but I, I don't want to be offensive. Uh, <laughs> and I... <laughs> Oh, no, no, I'm not going to do that. Uh, anyway, sorry. Yuhan, I apologize. Uh, we're, I'm going to give this in my best Midwestern uh, American accent here. I want to ask you all about apologetics in this current context. Back when I was helping lead a youth group in the mid to late 2000s, I was introduced to the idea of apologetics as contending for the faith. Over that time, I would be introduced to theologians well known for their work in apologetics. Most prominent for me was Dr. James White, and I ate it all up. These days, however, it feels like what may have began as contending for the faith has devolved into another platform for evangelical debate bros. I love that term. I recognize the importance of being able to answer questions and defending my faith. However, what is that tension between not defending it and being overly combative for the sake of arguments, especially in today's culture war context? And Jonathan's okay, going to give us so the full and final answer here. Right, the authoritative answer that you should all go with, right. no, with no nuance. He's, you can't, no if you're watching on YouTube, you see he's carrying two stone tablets with the answers right now. <laughs> uh, what most of you don't know about me is that uh, when I was in seminary, I was debating between a couple different degrees. 
And I ended up getting it in student ministry. But one of the ones I was thinking about getting a degree in was global apologetics. And what global apologetics was, was it took a look at the, tw- the world's leading 12 religions and taught you how to defend Christianity against the teaching of those religions and why Christianity was uh, the true religion and those were all wrong. 22-year-old Jonathan was really into that type of thing. 37-year-old Jonathan, not so much. That's not to say I don't think apologetics has a place because I think apologetics do have their place. And there have been many people who have come to faith in Jesus through reasoning and through explanation. But I, I think Johan's onto something with the evangelical debate bros of today's culture. I think some take it too far and they want to be right in defending things instead of loving people the way that Jesus told us to love them and living the way Jesus told us to. So uh, the short answer, which I would say is that knowing the answers to some of the big questions in Christianity, that's a good thing. But if we're talking about the tension between not defending Christianity versus like being overly combative, I'm going to lean towards loving others like Jesus more than trying to win debates because ultimately at the end of the day, it's Christ's love for us that compels us more than anything. So find the answers, be able to answer the questions. But if you get into any type of apologetic debate, you've got to lead with grace and love as opposed to beating people over the head with your intellect. Yeah, I think that's, that's great. I think when I think through this question too, cause I totally agree, like, you know, 20, 20 year old, uh, reformed Eric loved, um, that sort of thing and loved seeing the debates and, uh, between, you know, I remember it was Bill Nye and, uh, what's his face from, uh, Ken Ham, you know, you're just like, that was terrible. Well, that was the best we could throw out there was Ken Ham. Thank you. You know, like ask, ask somebody with like legitimate apologetics chops. Right. But I think what I've seen is, you know, if you think about the definition of faith, um, there's the traditional definition of faith from a standpoint of like having faith, uh, that I'll just call it like the, the lowercase F faith, just like it implies this like certainty despite evidence or proof. So you, in, there's an inherent portion of faith that says, I don't have total proof. I don't have total evidence on what it is. It's the belief in the things unseen, right? And then we've shifted, especially when I think through when it's become politicized um, into the capital F faith, which is that like belief in doctrines and having and like ascribing to a faith practice, capital F. So I think we've switched from apologetics being like, how can you strengthen that belief in the things that you that you believe in despite evidence or despite not having full truth? And that's shifted into how can I just prove to people that I'm right? Or how can I prove to people that I'm smarter? And one of my favorite follows on Instagram and threads, uh, uh, Benjamin uh, Kremer, Kremer. I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but it's B-R-C-R-E-M-E-R on uh, on the Instagram side. And man, you know, the last couple he's had right before Christmas have been really good about like talking about it's quite the fragile God who needs political power to preserve and reinforce their will, or God doesn't need your protection or defense. You know, all these concepts of like, 
you know, I think what, what did uh, uh, Yuhan said, contending for the faith. I've heard it as like defending the faith, right? You have to defend your faith. And it's like, God doesn't need your defense. You know, how, how incredibly egotistical and narcissistic do I have to be to think that I am the one, I, I'm the one that's going to be, able, oh, you know what? I'm going to be able to say the right thing that's going to defend God. God is like quivering in the corner behind me going, oh, I sure do hope that, that Eric knows how to explain the six and seven day creation. Oh my gosh. I, I hope he knows the true definition of Leviathan. Like, stop it. You know, it's it. It's just not happening. God's not quivering in the corner. Uh, in fact, I, I even think it's a fellow Theo bro, a friend of the show, uh, Matt Chandler, he's talked about, he's like, there, there's not some like council of God and the angels up in heaven going, oh man, ooh, Jonathan just got asked a tough one. Boy, I, I hope he gets this right. Otherwise, man, that's like, uh, you know, 10 points off of Gryffindor and 10 points to Slytherin or whatever. He didn't say that, but I'm just throwing that in. You know, this isn't an issue for the faith. And so I would actually argue that the people that lean and depend on these apologetics and contentions or defenses of faith um, really comes out of more of an insecure standpoint than anything else. Because the other thing is like, for me as a person of capital F faith, uh, I actually find my lowercase f faith being tested more when I hear idiots like Ken Ham open their mouth and try to tell me uh, some, you know, cockamamie exclamation explanation about how uh, there was a velociraptor in the Garden of Eden with uh, Adam and Eve and their kids. It's like, no, that's not, that's not, that can't be. You know what I mean? So, anyway. Last Ryan, thing I'll oh, say on it. Sometimes having faith requires faith. And that means you're not going to have every answer. It doesn't mean that you don't seek the answers. It doesn't mean that we check our intellect at the door, but at some point there's going to be things that we can't explain. And if we feel like we have to explain everything to win the debate, then we're never going to be satisfied. And, and I think if you look at our faith as a relationship, like for those of you that have parents, that's the best explanation I need for apologetics. There are certain things that happen for my kids because my kids intellectually cannot understand everything that's going on in the world and everything that I know. Not that I'm omnipotent, but, you know, I try to let them know that I am. But it's like, you know, if I'm representing the all powerful in their life, there are plenty of times where it's like I could not explain enough the intricacy of what's happening here. And I need to have them just trust me in some cases. And the more that they, you know, if you've ever heard kids like try to explain what's going on in the world of adults and you're like, yeah, that's not it. Right. It's not it at all. But like there have to be some times where it's just like, you just at this point cannot comprehend this and you can continue to make up your stories and you can continue to make up all of your mythology around what it could be. But like, there are just things that we can't understand as well. And I think that's one of the true tests of faith is like, can you actually believe, you know, that was a big hangup for my dad early on was like the creation story, creation versus evolution. It's like, can, can you still have faith in the essential portions of our faith and still go like, well, uh, uh, six day literal creation, or was that, you know, narrative? Was that, uh, was that six periods of time? Like, are you okay with not being certain about things and still having lowercase F faith? Awesome. All right. Next question. Next question. All right. Uh, this is from unnamed source here. I think y'all did a great job covering all sides, but how do you handle those who have differing beliefs about social issues 
but still claim to be Christian. Example, gay marriage in church, etc. Okay. I appreciate this question, but I don't love the way it was framed by <laughs> saying, how do we handle those who have differing beliefs? And I also don't like the part which is claim to be a Christian piece because it implies they might not actually be a follower of Jesus if they believe in those things. So I'm going to change the question up a little bit and say, how do we interact with those who have differing beliefs about social issues while still professing to be a Christian? I think that's, that's a more fair way to say that question. And to answer it, I go back to a cliched, simple phrase that most of us have probably heard. And it says in the essentials, unity in the non-essentials, liberty, in all things charity. And with that as the basis, we then have to look at essentials. And the hardest part about this is defining what the essentials are. And for the sake of this question specifically, I'm going to approach it from a Christian living perspective. If this were a church leadership podcast and we were talking to pastors and those things, uh, my answer might be slightly different in the way that I approach this. But if we're talking just normal Christian people and how we live in this, um, I think that's what they were talking about. And that's, that's the way I'm going to go. So with that context, the only essential is defining what a Christian is and how someone becomes a Christian. And if you're in line with most of historical Christian orthodoxy, you believe that salvation comes by grace through faith, not by works or anything we can do ourselves, then the only essential here is unity in that principle, is unity in the idea that we become a Christian and a Christ follower by grace through faith. Okay. From there, in the non-essentials, I believe in charitable liberty. And liberty does not mean I agree with the person. It does not mean I agree with their assessment. It does not mean I endorse their position or believe they are right. It simply means they're free to believe what they believe to be true. And I say charitable liberty because if we can agree on the work of Jesus through his death and resurrection, then I can extend this benevolent goodwill towards you or a love of humanity towards you, which is the definition of that, and your freedom to believe differently than I do. That's the way I'm going to approach and quote unquote handle someone who may have different beliefs there. And I, I know some people are listening to this and they've got a pushback saying that I'd be encouraging someone to quote live in sin or continue to promote a sinful lifestyle. And I think that that's a fair critique, but I'd also go back to in all things charity. I'm not going to end a relationship because we disagree on non-essential theological issues. I'm going to continue loving that person the way Jesus loves them because I was told to do that by Jesus himself. We might have disagreements and we might have arguments over these things. And inside of a loving relationship, those things are going to happen. This idea that we have to fully agree with someone to be friends with them or to be in a relationship with them, that's asinine. I'm not going to end a relationship over what I believe to be a tertiary, non-essential theological issue. We have room to disagree. We can follow Jesus 
while disagreeing on these third level, fourth level, non-salvation issues. And we can do that with love in our hearts for each other, even if we disagree. So that's the, that's my even killed answer. What you're going to get now is Eric likely going on a rant and I'm just going to sit back and listen. Uh, I want to answer the question, but I want to go to the heart of the, of the question. Like, why are we asking this question? Cause I, it's a, it's a legit question. Whoever asked this, I don't know who you are. Jonathan just put the question on here. I don't know where this came from. So I don't know who you are. So this is not personal when I say this. And if you're thinking that you have these same questions, this is not personal for you. But I would ask you to get personal on it and say, why are you asking this question? Why, why is having a church down the street that not only, ex not only uh, recognizes a gay marriage, but also performs them? Why is that a why is that in any way a problem for you? You know, and I think if we're being honest, one of the reasons could be what one is, I mean, like, obviously, you could throw it out there uh, that there are people out there that are as closeted bigots and hateful people and still claim to be Christian. So I would I would throw that into the question It's like, how can people still be hateful against other people and claim to be Christian? That's number one. Uh, but, I, you know, we're not going to we're not going to go there. So there are obviously those people. Um, and it's like, well, no, I'm not hateful. It, there's nothing uh, loving about allowing someone to consider to continue in their sin. It's like, yeah, but the way you're acting is very hateful and non-loving. So let's just say that. Anyway, but the reason why most people are asking this question, I believe, because it's the reason I asked this question, and it's you know, work that I'm still doing in my own mind. It's because if I acknowledge that the person over there that's doing the thing that I don't think is right, or I pers personally have restricted myself from in the name of being a Christian, if I allow them to continue on to also be a Christian, even though I don't agree with them, or I don't agree with that theological area, somehow that undercuts my stance as a Christian. That might make me wrong. Similar to the last question, it might actually make me wrong. So for instance, uh, let, you know, this is, this is not at all on the same level as theology, but Jonathan, you and I, uh, come from very different areas of the country. For instance, if I said, Jonathan, uh, when we're done here, it's going to be about lunchtime for me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to barbecue some burgers or I'm going to throw some burgers on the barbecue. Barbecue is a type of food. It is not a verb. Oh, okay. All right. But like. Do you see, I can still go out and do that. And you in your mindset, you can go, yeah, okay, great. Like, I don't personally believe that. For me, I'm never going to use You're the word wrong. barbecue. Barbecue is a type of food. It is not a verb. Right. So you will You're never use it. And you are sinful if you use <laughs> the word barbecue as a verb or a place to go. It is a type of food. It is a special type of meat slowly cooked over flames and smoke. It is not a verb. I will continue to say this over and over, but you may go ahead. <laughs> if you try to use it as a verb again, I will interrupt you yet again. <laughs> so there are certain things like that where there are differences for us. There are differences in the way we say things or we do things, whatever. My usage of the word barbecue as anything other than what Jonathan defined it as does not negate his ability to continue to use the word barbecue as a uh, as a type of food 
But it makes you wrong. But it makes you wrong. It makes you mad. It makes you, ah, it's like, and then you see how that elevates the point of like, um, Eric should no longer be able to eat food because he does not use the terminology in the right way. It's like, of course, that's a, that is a silly overblown way of bringing it out. But it's like, how weak do you have to be in your own faith to be like that church that I'm not a part of? Those Christians that I I am I do not consider myself in fellowship with, where I put myself under their spiritual authority. They do something different. Oh no, right? Like, how do I handle them? What, you, what do you mean? Like, you got to like just like Jonathan said. Are, are we trying to like quash them down? Do we say no? They're not Christians. Do we say whatever? You can say, hey, this isn't how I do it. They, you know, think about if you live in. Hey, the United hey States, Eric, or, let me interrupt real quick. Let me interrupt yeah. real quick because I I think. I'm not picking on the person who sent this in. I don't even remember who that was, but I think the words that we say, what the the words we say without thinking, can tell a lot about how we approach things. Yep. The language we use that just rolls out naturally, and the idea of hand like the, the way this question was worded. How do we handle someone who has different beliefs but still claim to be a Christian? I would, I understand the heart behind the issue, behind the question, but I would encourage whoever it is that sent that to think about why that language of handling came right. naturally. Yep. Um, another way to, to take claim, it off of the, also claim to be like handling yep. and claim to be the, the, Let's take it off the gay marriage thing. Let's go to politics because that's what a lot of this season was that inspired this question. Um, how do I handle those who have differing political beliefs but still claim to be a Christian? I look back at the disciples of Jesus. You had Simon the Zealot who wanted to overthrow the government. And you had Matthew, the tax collector, who worked for the government and profited off of their systems. I don't think they were trying to figure out how to handle each other or questioning if one claimed to be a follower of Jesus. They were able to put some of these other ideas to the side in order to follow Jesus together because their unity was in Jesus. Their unity was not in a non-essential way that the gospel plays out or a non-essential theological position your doggy just scared the crap out of me um i'm leaving this in here because if you're watching on youtube i physically jumped when the dog barked um anyway um i think we need to if we can we as in christians as a whole can put our focus on being unified in Jesus more so than trying to parse out the things that make our beliefs different, then I think we could do a lot of good within our culture. And I think that's why Jesus prayed for unity within the church more than he prayed for anything else, because he knew these secondary, tertiary, whatever the fourth level version of this is called in the, in the smart terms, Whatever those are, he knew those would come in and would separate us. 
And so he wanted us to be united in him. And I think that's where our focus needs to be more so than handling people who have different beliefs, but still claim to be a Christian. Yeah. Think about how even like rivalries in there, you know, between John and all the other disciples, but John and specifically Peter, you know, that it, it's obvious that there was some sense of disagreement there and some sense of like what I hope is friendly rivalry within the two of them. You know, how come it's like, oh, yeah, uh, obviously John was faster than Peter. Oh, obviously this happened. Oh, obviously, you know, he's he's recording all these things. I think about this situation like I would think about uh, at one of the churches I worked with. There were there were uh, one of the elders and one of our like community care pastors. We were in Toledo, Ohio. And that is a battleground state for or battleground city for the Ohio State Michigan rivalry. And it has been for years. And so one of the guys was a diehard Michigan fan. One of the guys was a diehard Ohio State fan. And they would rib each other every single day in the fall and even extending beyond that into non-football season. But they still got along and they were like best of friends and sort, you know. They would like support each other, but man, from the outside, it was like, oh my gosh, they do not, dis- they do not agree on this. It's like at no point did they allow that difference of opinion, as silly as it is for a rivalry, but some of you in the South are like, roll damn tide, you know, like that sort of thing. Uh, but you know, whatever. Help it's me. like, the, <laughs> you're right. Yeah. So it's like, you, you kind of get that sense that you can still go to work with someone, even though they may disagree with you. And I think I love your example, of the, the different disciples, because like you think about it, they might have had very different political or even social opinions. In fact, they did because of the way that they were disagreeing over how you should handle Jesus. Here's how you should handle this situation. No, you should handle this situation this way. No, I'm going to take out a freaking sword and I'm going to handle by cutting some dude's ear off. Like they had differences of opinion. But at the end of the day, when they sat down to eat a meal. They were side by side when they were walking throughout the, you know, the the countryside, they were following Jesus. And so, man, can, can it exist within you? Not just to handle, but to go, okay, that church over there or that person over there, um, it, you know, celebrates gay marriage. And in fact is, is doing, you know, whatever, let's keep it on gay marriage. Is there enough room in your faith to be able to go, all right, I may disagree with that. That may not be the way that I'm going. I may personally think that's sin, but that's also not my job to, you know, that's not a core issue to battle over. That's, that's what I would say. How do you handle it? It's like, you can avoid being around them. That's fine. You don't have to be in fellowship with them. I'd say, how do you handle it? You don't have to take teaching from them. You don't have to go to their church. You don't have to say that I'm holding them in spiritual authority, but how do you handle it? in a loving way and going, well, I don't really understand it, but you know, if, if you are one who claims to be a Christian, I don't understand it, but man, I'm going to find a way to, to love you through the process. I'm a Tar Hill born and a Tar Hill bred. And when I die, I'll be a Tar Hill dead. Rah, rah, Carolina, Lana, rah, rah, Carolina, Lana, rah, rah, Carolina, Lana, go to hell, Duke. All right, next question. Um, I'm going to answer, ask this one and let you answer because I know who this came from and I know the backstory. So I want to um, get your opinion before I throw anything in. What do we do with pastors that just walk away like nothing they ever taught us mattered? How do we reconcile the message that stuck with you and how they live today? And to give a little backstory here, because um, unfortunately, I think we're seeing this more and more. And, um, 
more and more people are going to have to deal with this. The person who sent this in, they were on staff at a church plant from the very beginning. They were recruited by the lead pastor before the church was even started. They, they build the church together. They're in the fight together. They're doing all of this. And then the lead pastor ends up stepping down from the church. And since leaving the church and his role, he's, he's moved to a different town, moved back to his hometown. He's divorced his wife and he's showing no signs of living the life he preached about for so many years. And we're seeing that unfortunately from pastors who they go through some type of trauma or event, or they, they make decisions that once they're out of the pastoring position, they do not live the life that they taught so many of us about. When that happens, how do we balance the things they taught us with how they are living today? And that is a great question. And I would say um, that where I think a lot, I mean, obviously a lot of this comes from personal relationship baggage, right? I had a connection with this person on a person to person situation. You know, there, there were feelings involved here, emotions that are involved. Uh, and so that's clouding the issue. That is also why we are in kind of a, an issue in the church in general is taking what people say based on who they are, the position they have, right? How many times have you heard, well, pastor says this, pastor says that, pastor says this, oh, I love so-and-so, pastor, 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 pastor says all that. And it's like, rather than taking what they say and trying to discern what they say, we automatically assume a certain thing about it because of who said it. In some cases, it's like, okay, well, that's good. That's gotten us place, spiritual authority, blah, 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 blah. But then what that does is sets you up for this situation where it's like, I believe, or I was so impacted by what this person said because of who said it. Now, who said it, that, that opinion that I have has changed. What do I do with the information that was given? And I think this is a healthy spot to separate those things out that even if it's somebody that you respect a lot, even if it's somebody that you look up to as an authority figure, understanding that not everything that comes out of their mouth is going to be fully good or fully bad, right? So being able to separate the message from the messenger on the front end before any of this even happens. But then on the back end to say, how do we reconcile the message that stuck with you and how they live today? For good or for bad, I would say that that person is not the same person they are today. They are, they're the same person, but I am not the same person that I was in high school. I am not the same person that I was in my 20s. And I would venture to say that if 40-year-old Eric went back and hung out with high school Eric, I don't know that we would be friends, right? I don't know that, high, first of all, I don't know that I want to hang around with high school Eric. I don't know that high school Eric would think that, that me, that I'm anything cool to hang out. So people change and evolve or devolve depending on whatever situation that they're in. But that shouldn't change the core of what it is that they have said or taught. So in my situation, we've talked about this before, um, you know, I've worked for pastors and leaders, one in particular that I've shared before that, uh, that had some pretty, pretty bad things accused and verified about him and then went on to plant a church where now it's basically a, a MAGA talking point, uh, you know, those sorts of things. It's like, how do I rectify the deep fellowship that we had together and like 
the closeness that we had and the teaching that I got from him and the stuff that I learned that I grow that I'm using today? The answer is because I, because that was a different one. I can separate out and go what, what he said from an objective standpoint was positive. Even if it later on, he turned out to be whatever. And two, it's like, I know that the person that I see today is not the same person that I was interacting with in my twenties. So I honor that for that phase in the same way as I would with my kids, man. I love, you know, when you look at pictures of your kids as babies, Oh, the baby, look at, Oh, that was so great. Would you want to go back? No, <laughs> you know, like, uh, no, are they the same? Can you have the same relationship with your kids? Like my kids now is like middle schoolish age as I did when they were early elementary. No, the dad jokes don't work as much anymore. You know what I mean? Like the relationship evolves and changes and you may have a favorite stage, but understanding that people, people grow and change for positive and for negative and still separating out. Like, does that disregard all of the memories that I have with my kids growing up in a different phase? Of course not. You have to understand you have a different relationship now. And maybe that relationship is no relationship because of the choices that they've made or the growth that you've had. I think it's also okay. It's okay. It's natural and it's needed to mourn the loss of the relationship as well. Like we, we, I don't think we, we give ourselves enough space to mourn the loss of friendships or to mourn the loss of spiritual leaders who may, maybe they've gone this route the way he did, or maybe they just aren't in our lives anymore. It's okay. And it's normal to, to mourn the loss of the, those relationships and to wish that they were still the way they were, because those were good times. That, that was a great relationship that you had back then. Um, they, they were beneficial to you. They helped you understand things and it's normal to mourn that. And even years later, after it happens, it's okay to, you're going to have tinges of hurt. Like I sprained my knee when I was 14 years old. And every time a cold front comes through, I still feel it in my knee. There's going to be that for the rest of my life. That pain is going to be there. and that doesn't mean I haven't done the work to strengthen my knee since then. It's just sometimes we have scars and sometimes we have pains that uh, we're always reminded of. So I, I think it's okay to feel whatever you need to feel in those. But if what was taught lines up with what the Bible says, and it helped you understand your relationship with Jesus, hold on to the message despite the messenger, uh, which is hard to do. But, um, yeah. All right. And Next that's question. another question. Hold on, that's another last thing on that. The hold on the mess is like, if you heard that same message from somebody else, would it still ring true? You know, yeah, that's good. That, that is how much is your relationship with that person affecting what they say? N not that either one is right or wrong, but just understanding the difference between how true is the message on its own versus how, you know, how does your relationship affect the person? affect the truth. Um, we've got a couple questions left. I don't know how many we're going to be able to get to, but we're going to try to get to two. They're kind of um, heavy. So part one, part two, might... part one, part two, keep going. This is part, part two. One, part two. This is part, part two. two, part three, <laughs> part two, part three. All right, here we go. All right. 
How do we change? How do we handle related. changes in church leader? You know, you might just after that, just part one, part two, and then just like, bam, nineties kids done. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Uh, question number th- th- four, three, four, whatever. Next question. How do we handle changes in church leadership that change the DNA of the church? It's okay to leave a church if you feel it's not where God has you anymore. I just want to start by saying that. That's it's my okay to leave a church, period. Yeah. I think there are good reasons to leave a church. There are bad reasons to leave a church. A good reason to leave a church is if you feel like it's not where God has you anymore. Because change is going to happen. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Um. In this situation, I don't want to speak negatively about a church because I wasn't there and I don't know all the details. Um, I can make some assumptions, but I'm going to assume the leadership changes were done in the right ways and for the right reasons. I know it's a big assumption in today's culture, bold. That's but bold I you. want to lean positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm going to try to be positive and give the benefit of the doubt. I am a big believer that God has a specific vision and mission for specific churches to reach specific people over a specific time. Those kind of ebb and flow as time changes, leadership changes, whatever. Sometimes the vision and the mission and the people are going to change. And sometimes you're going to go from being part of the in crowd where you feel like you're all fighting for the same thing to suddenly feeling on the outside, like you don't belong anymore. And that can be painful because the hard truth is sometimes you don't belong anymore and that's not your fault. You did nothing wrong. Uh, I'll give an example here. Um, After leaving church staff, we were kind of in the wilderness for a while trying to find a church. And a friend of mine who was a pastor, um, he went and started a church plant in town. And I liked him and wanted to be a part of what he was doing. So as we were trying to look for a church, that's where we went. And uh, he respected me. I respected him. He knew what I did in the church world. He knew I was good at it. And so we would talk all the time about what we needed to do communication-wise and like Sunday morning wise and how we could do this because the church was a very, I describe it as a very introverted church. The people of the church loved each other very well, but for new people coming in, it could be a, a tough entry point because there weren't a lot of like super outgoing extroverted people to welcome you in. And we've been working through all this stuff to do and, I remember sitting, I may have shared this story before. If I have, I'm sorry. Uh, I remember sitting there on a Sunday morning. It was, I think, Mother's Day. We had two baptisms that morning. One was a 10-year-old kid. One was a woman in her 40s. And they both shared these stories about how when they came to this church, they felt the presence of Jesus and they got connected and how it's been so great for them. And I remember feeling like Jesus tapped me on the shoulder and said, this is who I've called this church to be. Don't change a thing. And I realized that in that moment, had 
if I kept pushing for what I thought was best, even though that the leaders of the church were asking me my opinion, I would be sinning. And the things that we were looking for as a family were not what was there currently in that spot where that church was and where, what I now know Jesus was calling them to. So we had to leave. Like it, it's not what that church was not going after the things that God, we felt God was calling our family to. And so it, it's not necessarily a DNA change in the church, but it's to, it's to, I say that to express the point that sometimes a church is not the fit for who you are. And sometimes it, it's hard to come to that realization. And sometimes you have to walk away from some of your friends and know that some relationships are going to change, but for your own spiritual health, you need to go somewhere else. And in those times you have to walk through the wilderness to find where God wants to lead you to next. And that's hard. It's lonely. It's exhausting. I've spent many years in that. I, in the, Nine years since I've been on church staff, I've probably spent four or five of those years in that wilderness trying to find the church. But what I will say is that having found the place for me, the time in the wilderness was worth it. It sucked. I don't want to do it again, and I'm scared I'm going to have to do it again sometime. I hope I don't anytime soon. But what I can say for sure is that walking through the wilderness is worth finding out what God has for you on the other side. Yeah. I think now that I've you know, read through this and the next question, I think the answers are very similar. So I think it might be worth just reading the next question too, and then applying the same thing. So uh, this comes from somebody I know, and I know the situation too. It says, as somebody who has worked for multiple churches, seen the good and the bad of each now nearly four years removed from going to church. How do I find a church? I want to go to a church. I want my kid to go to church. I'm not looking for a perfect church or even a church where I agree with the pastor and everything. At this point, my trust in any church leadership feels so paper thin that it's not worth church hunting and dragging my family around week after week. I just want to know that the church actually cares about people and does their best to do what Jesus called us to do. I just can't message pastors in Instagram and say, what are your thoughts on X, Y, Z? How do you handle COVID response? What organizations is your church partnering with financially? Where do I even start? So I think the the heart of the answers for these are the same. You know, it's that it is okay to leave a church that you don't feel that, you know, you don't feel called to. Uh, you, I, I think about it in a rudimentary way in, in like a dating relationship. You know, uh, as a Christian, are you called to um, fall in love and get married with every single person of the opposite sex? No, you know, or any, you know, are you, no, you find the one that you can commit to for the rest of your life. And not that the church is like a for the rest of your life situation. It's like, I don't need to agree with every church. And if there is a church that that's like, this is not life giving for me and my family. And this doesn't align with where I believe God has us. Um, then yeah, by all means. Instead of, I think where I've gone wrong a lot is instead of assuming, you know, and this was something else that I saw from Pastor Ben Kramer, where he says, the longer I'm a pastor, the more I believe that the road to heresy doesn't begin with questioning God. The road to heresy begins with being unquestionably certain that no one knows God better than you do and believing that everyone else is a heretic. It's like, 
very similar to some of these other questions. Can I make room for other people to go like, yeah, they're following, pursuing God in a way that I, I don't, or I don't even agree with, but I can make room for them. And I think once we are able to do that, you're able to separate from a church easier because where I've gone wrong is I've gone, no, this church that I'm working for, this church that I'm going to is doing it wrong. And I, you know, and the way that I'm suggesting that they do it is right. And the fact that they're not doing it the way that I would want, or I'm suggesting, or I think is right is wrong. It's like, no, they've just chosen to go after it in a different way. And for you and I being marketers, um, you know, and, and kind of coach consultants along the ways with businesses, you understand that too, where it's like, you can look and you can say, well, man, your business model, I would not agree with that. But it's like, you know, that two, two different businesses that are operating in the same space, product wise or service wise, they might be going for two different areas. You know, one might be competing with luxury on luxury. The other is competing on price. One might be like, we're the best service. The other is like, we don't care about service. You know, we're going to insult you and we take your order and you're going to love it because it's part of the, you know, it's part of the package. Like those are all okay. It's long as for me, as long as they align with what it is that they they're going after, you know, it's when for me, I have the biggest problem when they pretend to be one thing and they're actually not, you know, that's where I have an issue. But to the last question, how do you find hey, a church? Let me interrupt real quick. Yeah, go real for quick. It. I also think it goes back to our question about how do we handle other people. Going to a church doesn't mean you fully endorse everything they do. Yep. Family members don't always agree with everything they do. They just say that we're going, we're committing to each other to, to, to love each other and do the best for each other. And one of the things I think that has been really hard in our culture, both in the church and just in culture at large, is we feel like if we align ourselves with something, we are saying we support everything that they do. Yep. And so we're trying to find someone, whether it's a church, whether it's a political leader, whether it's friendships, whether it's a um, spouse, doesn't matter. A spouse. We're trying to find people that we align with 100% and we're never going to find that. And so I, I read this question and I know it's hard because I, I, I hear the questions they're asking. Like, I, I want to know if they care about people. I, I don't, I can't ask them all these questions and yeah, maybe you disagree with some of the stuff that they've done. Maybe you disagree with some of the people they support, but can, do they do enough good that you agree with? that i mean you've got to have your non-negotiables you, you right. have those and i think obviously. that's inherent in the question too not looking for a perfect church or a perfect church where i agree with yeah. everything like that's inherent in it i agree with you the non-negotiables like what gives you the ick that you can't get over you yeah. know those sorts of things and what are you okay with I, on the I, other I, I'll, I'll give you an example i cannot go to a southern baptist church because of their stance on women in ministry that is a non-negotiable for me you have to for me, I cannot go to a church that would not put women in some form of legit leadership. We can just like my church that I go to now, we have some disagreements on where that line is, but we're in agreement that women have a place in leadership and that it's not just to sit down and shut up. I disagree with a lot of Southern Baptist issues on um, the way they approach race and racism in the country from a doctrinal standpoint. And so that's a big deal for me. And for some, 
it's not as it's not as high of a priority as the, to them, and so they don't make the distinction the way I do. So that's one of the things. Like I've learned that a Southern Baptist church is not the place for me because of those two two things, and those are kind of my those are two of my three non negotiables when it comes to church. So I I know it immediately rules those out, but on other things, if someone if someone matches those three things, music style, I can be okay with some music that's not for me. Like I'm not that selfish. Um, at one point in my life I was, but thankfully I'm not there anymore. And so I've had to learn myself, like there's not a perfect church. There's not a perfect fit. At some point you just got to say, I agree with these people on enough issues that I'm going to join up with them in following Jesus. Yeah. And that, and that, I think the, the heart of that question too, is like the, the issue is once, once we get into, uh, certain topics where it's like, it's almost like there's, there's a canary in the coal mine or uh, what do they call bell, bellwether, bellwether topics, right? Where, you know, you can ask a couple of these things and then automatically we make assumptions about everything else. So it's like, how did your church handle the COVID response? It's like, oh, well, we think that you're weak if you wore a mask. You know what I mean? You're like, okay, now you can make some reasonable assumptions about some things about the church, but also some of those assumptions may not be reasonable. You know, how do you, how do you treat women in leadership? Well, we think that women should only lead uh, other women and children. And it's like, you can make some reasonable assumptions about that, but also some of your assumptions might be wrong. So I, I think the question the, the commenter here is asking questions. I think you've answered your own question is have a list of things that are non-negotiable for you. And I don't think there is a problem to message pastors on Instagram or to message their, their church and ask them those things. Now, what they're probably going to tell From you all the pastors I, a- I know the good ones would appreciate it because yeah. they love having those conversations. And, and I know that like being a former church marketer, ch- church communicator, the response you're going to get is like, we'd love to set up, set you up with a coffee with one of our pastors. Like, okay. So you just got to know that that's going to be it. Not, not many churches are going to give you a clear yes or no response on the questions that you are interested in answering via text because they don't want that text answer taken out of context and blasted everybody. But like, if the idea of being a part of a church matters so much to you that, you know, like you're saying, then it would be, yeah, come up with that list, get with your family, with your wife, with your kids and figure out what is that list of non-negotiables that, you know, are reasonable for you to expect. The other aspect is with the advent of church online, most every church should have an online service or an online experience that you could at least get a picture of what it's like for, you know, so rather than dragging your family around week after week. I get it. I don't want to do that either. Um, is there a way to kind of check things out, shop online as if you would when you're buying something else or being a part of something else and checking in there? But I think it starts with having your non-negotiable set, and especially if you have that experience of working for multiple churches, you know for sure what you don't want to be involved in. In the same way, is like for me, I know for sure what sort of clients I don't want to take. I know for sure that if I ever got back into like the – corporate environment, what kind of boss I wouldn't work for, those sorts of things. Like have your non-negotiable set and then start exploring those things in ways that um, that you can. Reach out, ask questions, watch, watch some church online, things like that. And now may not be the time for you. And that's okay too. I think that's perfectly fine. We went over again. We always do. But we could keep going. We want to respect time. So that's going to be it for today. 
As a reminder, our next season is going to be delayed a little bit. Uh, it's not going to be coming out in January. Instead, we're going to be putting out these monthly bonus episodes for the next few months until we can record a full season to release. Our next bonus episode is going to release on Monday, January 15th. It's going to be called Uncomfortable Questions About Race, Religion, and Politics. So yes, uh, if you're one to enjoy those type of conversations like Eric does, uh, you will enjoy that when that comes out in January. Uh, if you like the show, do us a favor and rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast app if you haven't already. Thank you for the subscriptions and the rates ratings we've got. Our Spotify wrap this year was really cool. Uh, the r- responses on Apple Podcasts and the reviews there. Uh, there's been some crappy ones, but there's been some really great ones. So thank you <laughs> for those as well. Share this episode with someone if you found it interesting. But thanks for making us a part of your day. We hope you have an incredible Christmas. And we will see you in January. Cool.